Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Thank you again. It's nice to just have a moment to pause and breathe. I am the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. That's a very Anglican-y term for we're a church plant and I'm the priest in charge. <laughs> um, and But uh, if you're visiting here, we welcome you. Uh, we... We're still working on getting our act together with getting the welcome bags out there. But afterwards, um, we don't have welcome bags right now, but please stay afterwards. We've got coffee that we'll bring in here and hang out and um, love to get to know you better that way as well. Well, we've been in the sermon series on the first epistle uh, to the Corinthians. And thank you to Father Ryan last week for sharing with us about the power of the cross. We got to celebrate Trey's baptism. It was a wonderful Sunday together. This week, we're going to be in chapter 2, all of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. And we're pondering, again, the power of the cross, and this time, a little bit more about its relationship to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work in us. And so as we begin together, let me pray for us. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. Amen. So the thing about the power of the cross, and as I think about the work of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that I've been thinking about this last week was about my own story with Jesus. Uh, some of you were in the confirmation class with me over the last year, so you may have heard little bits and pieces of this. But growing up, one of the things that our family did is we served with an organization that would bring uh, children here from Belarus to receive medical care and live with a family for several weeks, attend church with us, um, still have a really good friend who lives in Belarus as a result. And there was a season where we didn't have anybody staying in our house from Belarus, but there was a Belarusian missionary who was in town uh, for the week and we had him over for dinner. I was 14 at the time, so a number of years ago, uh, and he singled me out during our dinner conversation. And in that conversation, I can't remember exactly what he said, exactly what the words were, but he described for me the heart and the attitude of somebody that was far from God. What did that look like? What were the thoughts that were thought by somebody like that? And he didn't, he didn't share a cookie cutter kind of presentation with me about, you know, uh, like to persuade me against going to hell, something like that. There was no like cookie cutter approach to his presentation of the gospel. But his message to me was about the effects of sin. Um, what does sin do in us? And, and how does it break our lives and our relationships? And, and what is it that God wants more for us uh, in Christ? And, and so he shared with me this presentation about what I was missing uh, by not knowing the Lord, although he didn't phrase it that way. There was actually no cleverness to his delivery. To this day, I don't remember the words that he actually said to me. But that night, as a result of that dinner, I knew that I needed Jesus. I needed whatever God was offering me in Christ. And I knew that Jesus died for me on the cross. I knew that he rose 
uh, from the dead, but I couldn't have told you much more than that because I, I did, unbeknownst to my Sunday school teachers, pay attention a little bit uh, in Sunday school. Uh, but I, I couldn't have told you much more than that. And I remember it was either that night or it was the next morning in response to hearing that gospel message, I decided that the one thing that really took up most of my mental space and energy was my music. Like that was the thing that I kind of craved and worshiped and used as, as um, some, a numbing agent, if you will. And, and so one of the things that I felt really convicted to do as a 14-year-old was to get rid of all my music. So I packed up every single CD and I either got rid of them, gave them away, or sold them. And, and I remember, not that this is prescriptive for one what, what one ought to do, but this is what I did. And it was my simple response. I started listening to popular Christian rock to fill my mind and my heart with uh, something different. If you guys grew up in the 90s, you remember like Audio Adrenaline and DC Talk and the news, all those sorts of things. So, (laughs) you know, so I was very curious about this kingdom of which I did not know much yet. And early on, I remember in that time, I started telling my friends about this experience that I'd had with Jesus. And some of them thought that it sounded crazy. But some of them actually stuck with me. And, and they even joined me at youth group. Um, some of them started coming with me to, when I was in high school, to our Christian group club thing that we had on campus at our public high school. And, and it's really neat to look back at those years, ages 14 to 18, and to see the ways that who I was then prepared me in some of the ways that, that even continue until today. So it gets me excited, actually, for our student ministry. And I didn't mean for this to be a plug, but it kind of is. Uh, it gets me excited for student ministries that are, that are beginning today after the service, where the students are going to meet uh, frequently you know, every week together to have pizza, to talk about the gospel. Um, I'm excited to think about what God's going to teach them about the power of the cross and the Holy Spirit through participation in our church together. Uh, I'm excited to think about what people are going to come to know Jesus as a result of some of the students who are, you know, ages nine to 18 right now. Again, I don't remember what that man said to me. Uh, the rhetoric wasn't that polished or important. It was what provoked me was this idea, the realization that Jesus was crucified for me. The cross compelled me beyond whatever words he had actually said to me. And, and so I also know that even though there's a simplicity to that, life gets more complicated. So when we think of high school, college, married life, now having a two, almost three-year-old, life gets more complicated as time goes on. It's way more complicated when your kids reach high school. Um, Just this week, I was texting with a dear friend of mine, and her child goes to Wakefield, and um, one of her classmates this week died of an overdose. And then on top of that, they had a lockdown for three hours this week uh, as the police arrested somebody uh, to prevent a shooting on campus. And so my heart just breaks for that. My heart breaks for... um, the brokenness that gets more complicated as we get older. Um, And the gospel, I think, has to speak into things like that. Um, It also has to speak new life, um, the new life of Christ into my daily encounters with the world around me. Bishop N.T. Wright says this. He says, 
let us not settle for a gospel which allows the world's power games to proceed without challenge. Let us not settle for a gospel which allows the world's power games to proceed without challenge. The cross is a simple message, but you know what? In its simplicity, there's a subversive kind of humility to the power of the cross. And the church in Corinth had been looking for divine truth and human wisdom. Teachers who could speak the right way, who could say the right things, who could give them special access to divine wisdom. And what St. Paul is holding before them is the cross as the paradigm for power in God's kingdom. The alternative to human wisdom is the gospel that the Holy Spirit brings to bear on us in the power of a life transformed by the cross. So again, the alternative to human wisdom is the gospel that the Holy Spirit brings to bear on our lives that are being transformed by the power of the cross. So it can be tempting when we read this letter. We've got to be careful in 1 Corinthians 2. When we read his letter, it can be tempting to think that he might be creating two classes of Christians because he mentions the mature. Um, and so we could think, well, maybe there's some immature and some mature Christians and while that might be anecdotally true, it doesn't have to be. Um, that, that seems to work against the language that he speaks elsewhere in the letter, especially about the diversity in the body of Christ. Instead, what he's probably doing is, is seeing the mature as those who believe in Jesus, who have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, God indwells you. God is in you when you have the Holy Spirit. And... Um, and because the Holy Spirit is God, he perfectly discerns the mind of God. And so uh, the question for us is about how do we grow in discerning um, and paying attention to the Holy Spirit? How do we discern and pay attention to the Holy Spirit? There aren't two classes of Christians, just Christians who are growing in their ability to discern the Holy Spirit and God's wisdom. St. Paul's charge is to discover the good news of God's kingdom and what Christ has done on the cross. That's where we find it. And that what Jesus has done on the cross for us is this mystery to conform our lives uh, to in servanthood. It's a mystery to call to mind in prayer and in singing. It's a mystery to speak to other people as we are changed by it and to hold tightly to as something that's a challenge to us and a comfort to us, depending on where we're at. And there were some in the Corinthian community that had a really skewed view of power and wisdom. And I would say Paul is probably not against wisdom, but he just sees wisdom as something that has to be discerned in the cross by the Holy Spirit who indwells us. If we want wisdom, we look at the cross. If you're new to Anglicanism, uh, this might be new to you, but this is why we don't talk about multiple baptisms, whether physical, you know, like when I know in some circles, like where people say, oh, now I really mean it. I'm going to get baptized again. We don't do that. We also don't believe that there's a, um, a, a spiritual baptism versus a physical baptism. You are baptized once in the name of the Trinity for the forgiveness of your sins. That's when you're made new, receive the Holy Spirit. There's not a physical baptism and then later a spirit-filled baptism that manifests in certain gifts. 
God absolutely shows his power in miraculous gifts. And I've heard stories of that from some of you. And I rejoice in that. And he's also the God who speaks in the still small voice to us. That's the same Holy Spirit. And so in our worship together, it's not about who's doing what, who's performing what. But it's about opening ourselves up more deeply to the powerful, life-changing presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what we do when we come week in and week out. There are times that we might talk about, instead of uh, baptism of the Spirit, which you might hear elsewhere, what we do talk about is the filling of the Spirit. And, and you're going to see that, you might hear us talk about that with the upcoming confirmation in a few weeks when the new bishop comes. The filling of the Spirit doesn't create two classes of Christians. What it does is it enables us to do the very thing that God is calling us to do. And because of that, we can rejoice that in, in the bishop's ministry, like the apostles themselves, is placing his hands on us and praying. He's going to pray this. Defend, O Lord, this your servant with your heavenly grace, that he or she may continue yours forever and daily increase in your Holy Spirit more and more until he or she comes into the fullness of your everlasting kingdom. Because in the economy of God's kingdom, we in and of ourselves, we don't have the ability to carry out the things that God calls us to do. We actually need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need his presence. I was reminded of that this week, um, very tangibly. It was Friday and I hadn't written a sermon yet (laughs) and my body just failed it was terrible I'm going to spare you the details it was messy and I couldn't function until the afternoon Um, and I realized that morning that I had been trying to do way too much this week I was just powering through everything Um, I was trying to do it in my own strength I thought I could just muscle my way through it I don't know if any of you can relate to that And I felt compelled to do so many things that I couldn't keep healthy habits this week, um, either of prayer or of exercise and stress just over time built up. And, and I was, I was done. God forced me into a Sabbath. And, um, and so that caused me to look again at how am I scheduling my life? You know, am I making space for the Holy spirit to speak? It's a good question to ask ourselves. Am I making time to actually submit myself to the glory of Christ's cross. Where am I experiencing the life change of the Holy Spirit? I need to make time uh, to reflect on that, and I wasn't. And so just by way of some general principles, I've been thinking about how seeking the power of the cross and the Holy Spirit are done so that all of us are lifted up together and all of us approach God together as one holy people. And here's a couple of the things that I've been thinking about. The first is, don't force things. Give room for the Holy Spirit. Don't force things through. Give room for the Holy Spirit. Growth in the mystery of God takes time. We want it to be faster than it often is. And in the Corinthian church, there was this fascination with finding the quick way to the wisdom of God, the quick way to the mystery of God. And we don't totally know what weakness it is that St. Paul's describing, but whatever it was, there's a real connection between our weakness and God's effectiveness. Our weakness and God's effectiveness. And the gospel's effectiveness, excuse me. 
And what that means is that you and I are closer to seeing the mystery of the cross when we're actually honest about the places where we're broken. We're closer to experiencing the mystery of the cross when we're honest about where we're broken. We don't need to hide it. We don't need to try and find the next uh, best way of, of spiritual growth. But discipleship, to use that you know, famous title from Eugene Peterson's book, is it's, uh, discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. We're in this for the long game, so don't rush. Um, give room for the Holy Spirit to work. Second, focus on the substance of life change uh, more than the appearance of righteousness. Focus on the substance of life change more than the appearance of righteousness. I'd been talking with somebody this week about um, a Bible reading plan that they used to go through uh, to get through the Bible in a year. And that is a great thing. We want people to read the scriptures, um, to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, as the collect so says. Um, but when, it, when reading the scriptures becomes a to-do list for the year, so by the end of the year, we're rushing to read through half the Bible, um, we, we run the risk of scripture reading becoming a point of pride rather than being a platform for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And, and along with reading scripture, we have to learn how to pray scripture. And there are lots of areas like that in the church. That was just one example from this week. But we could think about some churches where you have to show certain gifts of the spirit uh, to show your, um, your righteousness. Or you need to bring a physical Bible. Like the, the, the righteousness of the room is being weighed by miraculous giftings or the amount of people bringing a Bible. Um, or um, the emotive response to the songs in some churches, it might be, you know, the evaluation might be around where you put your kids in school, et cetera. There's lots of ways that different churches sort of evaluate the righteousness in the room. We have to be really careful of creating spiritual classes within the church. You and I are all sojourners on a journey together towards the kingdom of God. We are, but let me say it differently. We're, we are in the kingdom of God. We are journeying together in our journey with the Holy Spirit um, towards God our Father. And the Holy Spirit indwells us and empowers us for this journey. And so what you and I are doing as we journey together is we are loving and serving one another from hearts that are being genuinely transformed by the gospel. That's what the church is doing together. And that means that the wisdom that we seek from God is one that finds its expression in love, both for God and for another person. You might have heard stories or novels about people leaving their family or home or comfortable life to find something, and that something is usually an idea. Um, but the journey that you and I are on in the, in, in the church is life with God. It's a journey that ends not with an idea, but with relational love. That's what our journey's end is. And the cross is simple enough then to understand, but it's complex enough that we can't ever actually fully explain it. We can affirm it in a moment of time, but it takes a lifetime to really live out the implications of the cross because it changes for every life stage. Each day, probably. The Corinthians seemed to love human ideas um, and their focus had, be, had come to separate the knowledge of the mind from the experience of the body. 
And St. Paul is challenging them to live out the mystery of the cross in the experience of their bodies. Our limitations are a gift from God. Sometimes limitations can be pushed through. Other times, uh, like me on Friday, to be heeded and listened to. Um, They were worried about how they appeared before other people. This church was very focused on appearances. And St. Paul wants them instead to focus on the messiness of real life change and what that looks like rather than the appearance of righteousness within the community. And so I love how each of us are on this journey together. I love the way that being in a preschool multi-purpose room reminds us of doing life together. Um, I talked a long time ago about just the, this kind of space focuses us on the incarnational aspect of the church, uh, that we see the saints among us constantly. Um, and part of our journey together, I was thinking today, we're going to start our formation groups, which, by the way, you can still sign up for. Um, the formation groups start today and, and Wednesday. And we're going to be in one another's homes. We're going to be having concentrated time together around a meal, sharing the things that God's doing in our hearts and lives, and the things that we long for him to do in our hearts and lives. Lent is only a few weeks away. So even now, start prepping uh, for what you might take on, give up in your devotion during Lent. It's a season that God and, and his church has set aside to... Uh, focus on the, the road to the cross with Jesus. And so we can press into these different ways that the Holy Spirit is speaking into the church in real life change and in interactions and in community. And we can continually come back to the wisdom of the cross where we come to know the love of God together. Let me pray for us. Our God in whom we trust Strengthen us not to regard overmuch who is for us or against us, but to see to it that we be with you in everything we do. Amen. Amen.